If I know one thing that's true, it ain't what you say, it's what you do. And you don't say much, yeah, that's true. But I listen when you do. A thousand years go by, but love don't die. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Niche Podcast about the one thing I know something about game shows, I suppose. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. Before we get Brian Quimby out here to talk about the briefcase, I think we should have a little uh, validation, shall we say. Uh, Here is a clip from the Jeopardy! Teen Tournament. Graphic novels for 200. Originally this sidekick of Batman, Dick Grayson takes on a new identity in Nightwing. Isha. What is Robin? Yes. Graphic novels, 400. As some of you know, uh, my favorite superhero is Nightwing, Dick Grayson. So I'm going to start a new segment on the show called Nightwing as Trivia Questions. If you have a game show with Nightwing as a possible answer or one that was uttered out loud on a game show, please let me know and we'll compile them into this hot new segment. I recall one being an answer on Million Second Quiz and another being on Funny You Should Ask. So keep them coming. Now we got to do some corrections. Uh, Last week when I did the review of Press Your Luck, I got some things wrong. Uh, For instance, I said that it was uh, a classic game. And there's some things changed. In the front game, it's three questions, not four in round one. And it's all played in one act. And then in round two, it's four questions. As far as the bonus round is concerned, the playing is six, five, four, three, three, two, one. So apologies to anyone out there uh, who who wanted me to correct myself on that. There you go. I do like the end game, the bonus prizes and all that great stuff. But honestly, I don't think six rounds is, is, is where it should go. I think it should go five. It should just be five rounds. Uh, with less spin, so a five, four, three, two, one. Uh, my original idea was ten thousand dollars is big bucks with five, then twenty five thousand dollars with four, uh, three spins at fifty thousand, two at a hundred thousand, and one spin for a quarter million dollars, or maybe five spins of three rounds each, just to make it a little easier. Um, or uh, what I had as my idea, right after it record, I'm like, ah, oh, that would have been better is to have five rounds of play and have it be on each of the rounds before you decide if you want to press your luck or pass. Uh, they display one of the dream prizes for you to com- to play with. To win a million dollars, you need to collect all five dream prizes. If you whammy, it's spilled back on the board, but it gives us a level of incentive to keep going if cash is no object. So... In round one, it's ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand to spend, twenty thousand. Round two, twenty thousand. Twenty thousand to spend, forty thousand. Round three, thirty thousand dollars. Thirty thousand to spend, sixty thousand. Round four, forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand to spend, or eighty thousand. And round five, fifty thousand. Fifty thousand to spend, and a hundred thousand dollars. Keep in mind, it's only three spins per round, and you have bonus prizes on the board in addition to that cash. If you get all five of your bonus prizes. You also win the million dollars. It's a, it's added onto it. And I think that would have made the, the bonus run a little faster, but also a little bit more dramatic because it seems like the big incentive is those bonus prizes to tailor-made to these players. 
So why not give them a chance to earn both the million dollars and bonus prizes? I definitely will tune in to watch more of Press Your Luck. And thanks again to everyone over at Bazizio Gaming uh, for, for tuning in to Wednesday's viewing party of, of Press Your Luck, Card Sharks, and Match Game. Had a lot of fun getting to know a lot of the, the Slurp fam and the Bug fam and all those great people over there. A lot of great individuals. I saw Whammy go into a wood chipper and die. That still haunts me. Anyway, uh, we have a couple of reviews today. So let's get started. Yes, folks, it is time for a review of Card Sharks. As many longtime listeners would know about hashtag Jordan for Card Sharks, I thought that was a good practical joke for a if I could host any game show, what would it be? And I say Card Sharks, and then sure enough, they make Card Sharks. And for some reason, they actually listened to me in the creation of Card Sharks, and I'm kind of astonished by that. And I appreciate everyone who works at Card Sharks for kind of taking some of my suggestions, even though I don't think they listened to the episode. Thank you again. We did a Card Sharks episode. We'll definitely have to do one again because that was during the solo era. And we are now in the guest era. Now, uh, it's hashtag Jordan for Crystal Maze. And we know that's going to be going south real soon. So if you've never seen Card Sharks before, uh, in original version, it's two out of it's best two out of three to get through five cards. And to get to the five cards, you have to predict higher or lower than the one that precedes it. To get control of the cards, you got to go through a prediction question that's a survey of various people. In this version of Card Sharks, uh, it is 1v1 for the entirety of the episode. Uh, it's in whoever wins this one game goes on to the money cards. It's 10 cards for a red contestant and 10 cards for a blue contestant. They cut the cards in front of everyone to determine who gets the first question and in the event of a sudden death, the fifth and final question as well. Four of these five questions are we asked 100s and the other is a numerical estimation. The person predicts uh, what number they assume. For instance, we asked 100 therapists, have you ever nodded off during a therapy session? How many admitted they have? Uh, they will say a number like 22, and then the next player has to say if it's higher or lower than the than that number. Whatever is the number, and if it's correctly higher or lower, will get control, and they will get uh, the, the reveal their, their first card, or wherever they are in the game. They can now decide to predict if the card is higher or lower than the one they are shown, or they can change it if they so choose. Uh, and then they can continue over and over until they can complete all 10 cards. If they are correct, they can continue and move on, or they can freeze and stop to that point in the game, in which case they must regain control in order to change the card or continue predicting higher or lower. The first to complete all 10 cards wins. If on five, on question five, someone must win with their play of the card. Someone must go through all 10. And that makes a little intense, stressful point, which I kind of enjoy. Uh, I haven't figured out yet. Uh, it is essentially, if we're going by classic uh, sharks rules, to win two games through five cards, that just means going through 10 cards. That's kind of what I think they were going for when creating uh, card sharks. I am glad they continued with the survey questions, and they're a lot of fun. Now we got to go to the money cards. Whoever won 
either they went through all 10 of their cards or during sudden death they passed over to their opponent and they they flopped and they couldn't get through all 10 of their cards they move on to the money cards in the money cards it's one single row of seven golden cards and they must predict whether the card before it is higher or lower than the one that precedes it if they are wrong in their prediction or if it's a match they lose their wager uh if it's tied they lose the money as well uh the wager is up to them with a minimum of one thousand dollars on the betting table until that final card the seventh card in in the series the big bet where they can bet they must bet at least half they can bet a little more they can bet it all or they can simply just walk off the table and walk away and in a new twist to card sharks instead of the levels of here's three cards then the next level three cards it's all one solo row and it's played with ten thousand dollars uh i i do enjoy it a lot and it gives it a a more fancy flashy thing it almost feels like this is the card sharks the card sharks is the money cards but to qualify for the money cards you must go through the card sharks round to get through the card sharks round you got to get through the surveys and that's what i kind of enjoy about card sharks a lot of people are upset because oh someone busted that's no money so it ends on a sour note but it is card sharks it is a all or nothing situation if you bet it all prepare to lose it all that that's how card sharks works it's not going to be a here you won a thousand bucks and now we'll play for for side money no we're playing for the right to go through the money cards especially if you consider six hundred forty thousand dollars as the top prize so now i gotta get to some stuff i did not like about the show the graphics for instance on the show i didn't really care for them i wish there was something that was physically on stage like an lcd screen or just uh like like little like chips or like as they say the answer like a little graphic just pops up like a little television that shows the number and then higher or lower or return to those classic big old decks like i said in the original uh if i was to make a card sharks reboot i would have a, a suit of cards and then have that suit of cards being like a light screen like a little like you know those 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 light border things that you see all the time in the in these shows now and have it display numbers and display higher or lower um and the ones that we see are just kind of just the card sharks font and numerical the card sharks font they went very heavy on they kind of went all in on the broadway font that they used because that's in the names that's in the questions that's in the numericals that's in the wager that's in the value of the wager that's on the table when it says higher or lower and I, as much as i love the card sharks neon font i wish there was a secondary font to layer it with so something that was more hollywood or something that was more modern like a, even if it's something as easy as helvetica because as much as this is like the iconic graphic for the show it kind of doesn't really sue when it's something like a numerical question or we asked a survey uh also i kind of wish there was more comedy in card sharks 2019 uh because this is joel McHale. Uh, and we're only dealing with five questions. We're not seeing a lot of ad-libs from him. We're kind of seeing maybe one or two questions with the contestants as their rationale behind why the number's low or why the number is high. And I kind of wish there was like a follow-up question or some sort of extra element that could make it 
have a little bit more standoff where every one of these questions means something instead of just kind of just there for the sake of being there. I mean, when I when I see old car sharks with Perry or with Eubanks, um, usually some of these questions do kind of layer into a Rafferty joke or Bob Eubanks talking to the panel of 10. And I wish there was some sort of incorporation of that with Joel McHale instead of, even though it's Joel McHale and his personality, something that doesn't sound a bit show-offish. He doesn't seem like he really is accurate or really wants to be there. And and to me, if, if he's not interested in the in hosting the show, audiences should, would probably start going, oh, why should I get interested in Card Sharks? When it's a very exciting game. And where Joel McHale does shine is in the money cards. The money cards is very good. And it's a faithful recreation. And there is there is a lot of, of great wagering and there's a lot of intensity and Joel McHale is actually in his element when it goes into the money cards. Seeing him do the money cards, even if it's a loss wager or a winning wager, he definitely he definitely does a great job at hosting. If a contestant screws up, oh, I'm so sorry. If they're right, you did it. Heck yeah. And if it's very, very good and they're making lots and lots of money, that's when he starts making the digs at the contestants. And when they bust, oh, well, maybe your friends will help you out. Like Things like that are 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 kind of what I enjoyed about Joel McHill hosting Card Sharks. When it came to these questions, I wish there was more Joel. I wish there was either more surveys or there's something with the questions and the amount of high-low that they have to do. Um, also... I I like the the snare drum in the in the background. Oh geez, do I love that snare drum? Because that is one of the. I, if it's anything, I'm a sucker for snare drum as as a backing track for for intense moments or explaining rules to the game. But the graphics, I don't care for. It needs more Joel. It needs more comedy in that front game, and it's still a faithful recreation of Card Sharks. But the audio mixing in this also is a little, uh, because when I heard the introduction sequence, I couldn't hear the announcer. I couldn't hear the, it's like the announcer, the crowd, and the theme song were all like fighting for for my attention at the same time. So I, I know Card Sharks has that iconic theme that... But you barely get to hear it. You barely can do a clap along. And the audience isn't really doing the clap along to the theme song, which I thought would kind of make the show a little bit more exciting, kind of make it like everyone's in on it. It, it kind of feels like everyone's fighting in that introduction. The mixing is not that good either, both in terms of the contestants' lapels, Joel McHale, and the backing track trying to be serious when a higher or lower and the audience screaming. I don't know what the deal is with that but that was something that i found very bothersome and i didn't and i watched it twice now it's it's a it's good soundtrack i actually think the soundtrack is pretty good but there is some issue with the audience and i don't know if it's just because the audience was so loud that everything else kind of bled through or it was one of those we did so rushed because Summer and Fun and Games is coming up. We kind of did not figure out, oh, well, uh, we need to incorporate more Joel. Or 
we have these contestants. Let's just get them get excited and more over the top as the game progresses. Because other than that, I, uh, it's it's it. There's a lot of great elements in this card sharks, and it's a very slower paced game compared to press your luck, which is preceding that, where it's screaming buzzer, win money, win money, win money, hit the buzzer, win money, win the buzz, hit the buzzer, win money, hit the button, win a prize. This is more cerebral. This should be paired with Family Feud. It shouldn't be on after Press Your Luck. This needs to be a game where you can talk it out, have more discussion time, have more silliness, because the surveys are meant to be kind of just uh, elevation points as to stuff we've all done but can't admit, or never have I ever sort of dilemmas. And it, it doesn't incorporate it that much, uh, but some of the prediction surveys are very clever. Like, what percentage of uh, senators are are were were once Girl Scouts? I thought that was like a clever question. I, I like things like that because not everyone's really gonna know, and it's one to think about. So it's a great set, fancy set, one of the most beautiful game show sets I have ever seen, and an actually good soundtrack, a good host in the money cards. I want more survey or I want something just different in that main game because that's where the issue is. It's that it's the graphics package. It's that audio mixing and it's something to do with this main game. If it was me, I would have probably made it through, get through seven cards because seven's a lucky number and it still has that one casino vibe. And plus audience would already relate to the seven because the money cards also has seven. So to get to those seven, you got to go through your seven. Think the rule of pyramid. Alternatively, five is just not enough questions to get through the game. If we are trying to emulate the 10 cards that emulate two games of, of card sharks, you need to double the amount of questions. I don't think they want to do eight, but maybe you want to try seven questions then. Maybe go three, then four in the second half of, of the game and then do the money cards because it seems like there's not a lot of, uh, there's a lot of downtime. And if we're not going to do a lot of ad libs and a lot of comedy, then quickly get to the next survey question so we can still have more play along. Just an extra, this is an extra couple of questions. So either drop down the amount of cards to seven to win the game, or increase the amount of survey questions to seven to win the game. I love the money cards though. I like those giant chips. I enjoy those tension on the turns. And I like the new uh, idea of you can walk away on the big bet because now that gives an extra layer of. You sure you want to do this? Because now at this point, it is the high stakes card. You have to go with half. And some people have like a two and they're going to go all in. And some people may have had an ace or a two and they decided to go all in. And it was a it was another ace. It was a two and they lost it all. And that's the, that's the dilemma of this game that I love so much. And that's why I am not in favor of that push roll. I am in, I'm in favor of it. Cause there's, cause now it's just uh, risk management. So you might have like fifty thousand dollars. You have an ace. Everyone's telling you go all in. You can get a hundred thousand. But what if it's another ace? You can go a thousand and save yourself and get forty nine thousand, or lose it all. It, it it's something like that that I kind of enjoy. It's that is that what if scenario that I don't think a lot of game shows don't really elaborate on. I like these oversized chips that they have to gamble with. 
because now it feels more like a casino than it ne- ever did even in the in the one in the casino in that 2001 edition with the clip chip or Rafferty edition or Eubanks edition or Jim pa- Jim Perry's edition because this this is a casino now it feels like I'm at a Bellagio and this is a high stakes high low game and you're a high roller let's play you have a six higher or lower than a six something like that just adds stakes to the game that I enjoy so much so I don't really mind people busting and losing everything in the money cards because to me I think the going through the two lines of cards it, it's just a qualifier it's a qualifying game that's like asking why doesn't anyone win money on pyramid if they are in 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 first place if they win if they win pyramid what did they tank on the winner's circle tough luck that to me this is similar to that it's similar to family feud what if they win the main game and then they horribly tank on the fast money round like and get zero points not my not my fault it's just part of the game it's part of the game rules i wish there was more comedy mixed with this luck-based game show joel is great with the money cards he is not so good when it comes to the surveys but maybe as the show progresses he'll get a lot more funny it will be more amped it will be more humorous and maybe Five is the perfect amount of cards to amount of survey questions to get through in a in in a ten card race. I still am am holding and saying it should be seven, seven v seven or seven questions. My so far my letter grade is a B plus. I'm still gonna be watching this show because I love card sharks, but right now B plus. There is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Now we got through our usual leftist political indoctrination, it's time to talk about the worst game show of the last decade. The economy crashed in 2008. Barack Obama would later become president and people were hurt. Lots of people lost their jobs while Wall Street was making bank and bankers were getting golden parachutes. People did not have trust in everybody and the economy ruin people's morales. Seven years later, in 2015, CBS decided to try its hand on making a reality show based on generosity of others under severe economic distress. What existed was a short-lived game show on CBS called The Briefcase. With most Prisoner's Dilemma between two people, it's all or nothing. But in this game, with $101,000, you keep $1,000 no matter what, but the remaining $100,000 is dependent on you and your partner. You can keep it all. You can give it all away, or some variation of it. Is this poverty porn for the network that brought us to Big Bang Theory? Or was there actually something the critics got wrong? Brian Quimby from Street Fight might just have the answer. Let's turn the table. With me on the line is one of the co-hosts behind the popular podcast, Street Fight. Give it up for one, Brian Quinby. Hi, how are you, Jordan? I'm doing fantastic, although I'm still a little, like, upset for, for what I've forced you to endure. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't think it was 
too bad. It was cruel. It felt, uh, I guess, uh, if you want to describe it first, we can talk about, I, I sort of, I don't know. Uh, it, it is everything that's wrong with like entertainment and, and like Los Angeles is, is yes. what I'll say. <laughs> As someone from Los Angeles, I deeply apologize. <laughs> and <laughs> I, it absolutely is. So, uh, before we talk about what is the game show we watch, even though it's the title of the episode, and I've already had introduction, explain quickly what's what Street Fight is, because because to me, I I think this is the granddaddy of leftist podcast. <laughs> I, I I think if I took the, if I took this show to anyone else, and I'm not trying to throw names out and, and say they're they're they wouldn't do a good job about this, but. I don't think Will Menaker, for instance, would be a good lens to have this show on. And no disrespect to Leslie, but no, no, no such thing with the briefcase. Yeah. Well, uh, Street Fight is uh, basically it started out as like, a, uh, I, I don't know, like Street Fight is me and Brett like living our lives. My, my partner, Brett Payne, and, and we're, we're a couple of like, Basically, we're two guys that grew up about 15 minutes away from each other in Ohio and then met each other in our, our in my when I was like 30, we met and uh, we just our stories overlapped quite a bit in regards to like uh, pop. Like we were very broke. Uh, we were, you know, had both like pretty shitty, like a pretty shitty job history and just we talk about what life the goal with street fight is to talk about like what life is really like for people every single day and it does a hell of a good job and then people like try to compare you to like their local morning zoo <laughs> which i was well, sure. i it's actually very fun. that's actually funny to me because like uh part of the inspiration for street fight is is like shock jock morning radio i like grew up uh, i i started listening to howard stern in like 1997 and I, I was like a huge opie and anthony fan when when they were on xm and stuff and and i really liked it um but their life experience or, or their world didn't really intersect with mine even though they were talked about like they were like the crude voice of the working class like I never felt they had the same life that I did. They, they never talked about, you know, writing bad checks and they never talked about any of that stuff. And I, I and, and neither do comedians. And it just felt very weird that like we, we, because people have to fake it to make it that by the time you get to the point where you're making a living doing comedy or anything like that, it's kind of all beaten out of you that you're not supposed to tell people you're a regular person. And, and, and mine and Brett's goal is to, is to be like, uh, this is like just a job, like any other job. We've both worked 50 jobs and I want to hear, you know, you, you're working class and then you're not anymore because, you know, I'm an artist, I guess now, or podcast or whatever you would call that. And, uh, I, I, I want to hear people's experiences. So we added the call-in show and, and we read stories about work and we talk a lot about work because that's what we spend most of our time doing. And these are some, and, and some stories are like nice uplifting about like when they started their own company or just said, fuck you to their boss or 
Then there's the ones where it's just the worst stories and it just makes you hate the world that we live in. But there is something, it's almost like you are become like a therapist to a lot of people that are working class. It's, well, I think it is. Uh, so when I, so the thing with Street Fight that, so I went through a, like a really radicalizing kind of period of my life. I worked as a cable guy, drove around all day and, and listened to like Rush Limbaugh and, and Opie and Anthony and, and whatever else I could get my hands on. I listened to all these all these fucking radio shows. So my politics were this kind of jumbled mess of mostly conservatism, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then I got robbed at work and uh, I spent, I, I broke my wrist in the robbery and I was off work for about a year paid. And during that period, like everything in my life, like the way that I thought about things just completely changed. It was like, so, you know, one month you're having a panic attacks and throwing up in the bushes. And then in the next month, you're like completely, I, when I wasn't working, I was just like completely happy. And I was like going to the movies every day. And I taught myself how to cook and I taught myself how to smoke meat. And like, I was just like having this like real Renaissance in my late twenties. And it felt like, it felt really amazing. And then the injury healed and I had to go back to work. And uh, I started throwing up in the bushes before work again. And I started having like these real huge meltdowns. Um, and then through, I washed out basically. I quit the job. I decided to be a stay at home dad. I went to college. I went all the way through college. And then uh, right when I graduated was when Chapo took off, which they're good friends of ours and they've, they've introduced us to a lot of people. And uh, that's when I decided to do this for a living and more people were hearing us. So I started hearing their work stories. And then I started having like honest conversations with my wife about her job. And I started having honest conversations with all my friends and about their jobs. And I realized that like, I wasn't the only one having anxiety like every single person at the office is freaked out and they think they're going to get fired and they don't have the same confidence like we're all kind of faking it and i said man i wish somebody would have told me this like back then it could have saved like a lot of heartache it might not have launched street fight but it could have saved a lot of heartache and now i think that like if there's one goal that i have it's to tell people like you're not alone. This is bad. Like this whole setup's bad. Everybody's freaked out and it's not good for anybody. And uh, yeah, if it wasn't for Street Fight, you Ch uh, Chapo Travels would have never been created. And they are kick off in this whole media empire of, of fantastic podcast fun. But th there's, there's something that I love about Street Fight. And this is why I also gravitate a lot towards you, Brian. <laughs> There is a special, and this is because I like game shows. I, I, this is a game show podcast, no shit. But when you talk about these other reality shows, like Undercover Boss or or Shark Tank, and it's the way that you observe these shows and these sometimes these sad attempts at bosses to try and act hip with the kids to Shark Tank pitches that obviously don't go anywhere but you know they're desperate just to make something well we do so what we do for, for on our five dollar patreon tier we uh watch tv and do commentary over it which people seem to like i don't 
I don't know how I, I probably would. Watch. I mean, I do like mystery science theater 3000. I thought that was really funny growing up, but uh, most of the, sh the shows we watch are like, uh, are we watch undercover boss. We watch shark tank. Uh, we have watched kitchen nightmares on there. We watched the fire fest documentary. I think we're going to watch the movie pump up the volume soon. <laughs> and uh, I think we're going to watch the mule. But Undercover Boss is the one that that we watch the most. It's kind of the it's the main one, and uh, shows it's fucking crazy. And I mean, the thing about Shark Tank is people always think that me and Brad are gonna scream at the sharks, and we do. We we don't like Mark Cuban. They're billionaires. We yeah, we don't like them. But <laughs> the people that are pitching are also fucking horrible on that show. Like they're they're like small business jerks that are probably like paying their employees like seven dollars an hour to make whatever bad idea they have that is like their business isn't gonna last a year and they're not paying a living wage and they just think they deserve the world. So like nobody's good on Shark Tank. At least an undercover boss. Like the employees that the bosses encounter. Like I mean, you look at a person that works at like Checkers or Rallies or White Castle or uh, you know any of these fast food places, and and they kind of make it market, their just that one like yeah. just fires. One guy just fired got fired on the show. Yeah, Boston, <laughs> but there are these people that work at these places that fucking like uh, they love it. They're fucking angels, you know. They like these people that just like give their whole life to this place. And in in the back of your mind, you're like, this person makes twenty five thousand dollars a year for this, and it's just it's so depressing. Like they they try to humanize the bosses on that show, but it never works with me. It's always like when they get to the end and they hand out the awards, me and Brett inevitably at the end of every one think they should have gave them like a lot more every time. <laughs> well, that's why I'm giving you a vacation and fifty thousand dollars and. <laughs> Right. Well, there's and and you know the thing is, there's a hundred other people that work for these companies that are having the same exact problems. And, and like CBS just lets them go on TV and be like, "Oh no, man, you know, you give them, but we'll give this one person fifty thousand dollars, and then we don't have to do anything about it." Like they should, in like a real good person would get out of that and be like, "We're going to raise wages across the board to a living wage." when like, they got out of it but the they never knew that what i was expecting like hey guess what we're actually going to give everyone good health care for their kids because i'm hearing stories about their kids having asthma and they have to work two jobs to pay for it right or they'll be like i i saw one guy who was like uh for a uh, it was uh for a dinner theater on one of the more recent ones we watched and this woman's just talking about like you know i work like 50 hours a week and most of the time there's not very many customers i don't make a lot of tips and i spend most of my check on babysitting for my kid and the guy's damn solution is to have daycare at the place which is technically good but it's also like well but she still shouldn't work 50 hours a week <laughs> and plus if you create daycare that means now you have to get like a daycare teacher to watch over these kids and then how much are you going to pay that teacher yeah, they're just not they these these people are che they're cheap. And it's 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 uh I mean it's terrible out there. Everybody nobody's really making good money, but everybody has to pretend like they make good money. You know, you go out to the bar and you know what's in your fucking bank account. And uh 
you still spend way more than you should because you don't want people to see you thinking about your bank account. That's why I'm mine. And then you have to be that one guy's like top shelf. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you'll you'll just be like, oh, your friends will be like, hey, let's go to another bar after this or let's go to get something to eat. And you're like, oh, I got like $60 left in my account. But uh, okay, yeah, we can go out to eat. You just spend your last $60 and then try to figure it out tomorrow. Well, I'll just figure it out tomorrow. Just kick the can down the road, you know? That that's how it goes. Speaking of undercover boss, uh, the episode we're watching tonight is it's the briefcase. We just brought it up. I thought this was from the people who brought us uh, the the wonderful show Undercover Boss or Secret Millionaire, but instead it's it's actually created by a guy named David Broom. That's his name, David Broom, and he was the creator of another popular game show called The Biggest Loser. <laughs> ah, yeah, boy, he's a he really likes to explore. I mean, the thing about this show, the briefcase, is that like it is exploitive, right? Like it is exploitative. In the end, he does do something de- like generally you believe in the end something decent's going to happen. I've only seen this one episode. I, I but, will uh, tell you, I will spoil all six episodes tonight. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Does I, anybody keep it all? Uh, no. Thankfully, no. I I mean, could you really blame somebody for keeping it all, though? Like, I wouldn't be mad at somebody for keeping it all. I don't think it's ugly to keep it all. If Like, these are, because this is the real tragedy here, is these are uh, middle class people, and that's what middle class looks like. In the United States, like that's middle class. And so like when you look at these Democrats that come out and say we got to preserve the middle class, it's like, I mean, what are we really preserving anyway? I mean, really, what is it, you know? So if you've never seen the briefcase and more likely you haven't because it only lasted six episodes, the premiere day was May 27th, 2015. Final episode was June 26, 2015. Here's how it works. There is a struggling family, your usual hardworking family. Just go with what they say in the introduction. It's a hardworking family. And it's either they have a small business or they're a firefighter or they they are uh, they, they, they have a church or something. And they are given $101,000 inside a briefcase. They are told they can spend the $1,000 right now. But the other $100,000 will be theirs in 72 hours. But they have a decision to make. They can keep some of it, all of it, or none of it. And any money that they have left over will be given to another family that might be in just as much need, if not more so, than they are. In part one, they get to tell their top their sob story in the briefcase until whatever's left their 72 hours will be theirs. Then they spend their $1,000 on party supplies or whatever you call it. Like, most of the time it was just like, oh, paying bills. They're paying bills, credit card debts. I mean, I would have just fucking paid like all my bills up to zero. <laughs> but you only get 1000 bucks. So, well, your utilities, my utilities probably add up to about 1000 without rent. You know, so eh, just pay them all up to zero, sit around the house. I don't need a damn party. I I do plenty of parties. And then one of the two members is always play with a couple. It's a couple and another couple. Person A didn't must make a decision without knowing anything about the opposing family. 
and seeing every episode because I had to see all six episodes. Thankfully, you only had to see one. Typically, they are actually kind enough to say, actually, we'll just 50-50 split it, 50,000 each. That's the way, though. That's what they should do. But, you know, I also get like, I mean, like, I think (laughs) because they didn't know what was going on, these people, if there had been a second season, if there had been, uh, you know, kind of a precedent set with these, I think everybody would have just did 50-50. Uh, I really do. Cause that's the only fair way to do it. Then both people get a hundred grand and we're all happy and we go home. Uh, so this is, then after they do their first reveal where it's like, I'm going to give them $50,000. And then they of course get angry. Like you don't know who these people are. Why would you give them 50 grand? Then they're given a text message on a phone. And it's basically everything about the opposing family. Like, hi, we're the Millers. We have a dog. We have uh, two cats. We have a child who uh, has a big hospital bill. And we have to work two jobs. And (laughs) our current debt crisis is $300,000. And (laughs) then they're all, like, sobbing. And then person B of the team gets to go to the bank and makes the second decision. Like, we can't. And it's usually something a bit more than the original person or a bit less it's never 50 50 anymore now it's like i think we should give them seventy five thousand. i think we should give them all of it i mean you desperately need it and then they're in the final 24 hours they get to fly out and then check on their homes they get to go through and check out there that's the part that was like oh this is a little it was like means testing in a way is what I felt like. Means test. <laughs> so they're like means testing. Like the Democrats would love it if like uh, they were like each person gets $100,000, but we send a government agent to their house and make sure that they need it just by looking around at things. Oh, well, that window's busted up. And and then it's like all of them, because I've seen all the episodes, all of them just conveniently have their dead on the table in the kitchen for them to look at. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like the the one family had their foster uh, papers out sitting on a desk. Like we was just, you know, it's weird. Before we left, we was just looking through these foster papers. And you know, damn well, if someone like broke into their home. You have all this personal shit of theirs just right in the open, ready for the taking. That's not good. Yeah, it was. That part is the thing. Uh, it's the weirdest part. Like just. Having people go through each other's houses seems like really bad to me. There's something really tasteless about that to me. Okay, I'm not going to spoil every episode, but one of the one we saw was uh, the one we saw was episode four. If you want to see it, it's on Amazon right now. Matas and Melonsons. And a a point that that they made up because it was a family from Boston and a family from uh, Boyle Heights, California was well they're they have a family of two four and they're they're sharing the same bed we have a family who has their own bed and oh they need a bed yeah it's like two people that really need stuff feeling sorry for each other it's it's it and and that like that's what i mean by it's like everything that's wrong with like the entertainment industry and stuff because that is how they they're like oh look at these Look at these fucking losers fighting over a hundred thousand dollars. Is what the show it. really feels like. It. That, uh, yeah. 
And in the final part, they're told they must fly out to Los Angeles and then deliver their money to the people. <laughs> and yeah. They, and they're only knowing about the one case. At no point are they aware that the other family also has a case and is also snooping through their shit. Yeah. And they get to like keep, uh, they, they, uh, the other weird part about when they saw each other's houses is they drive each other, they drive each other through each other's name. They drive each couple through the other person's neighborhood and like have them comment on the neighborhood, which was like, that was the part that really made me uneasy because you know that family in Boyle Heights like loves living in Boyle Heights it's not they didn't give me a vibe where it's like we got to get out of this neighborhood there's all this crime here and stuff they were like we need to fix our house you know we don't hate where we live there's stuff and that family from Boston was just driving through that neighborhood like this place is sick there's criminals everywhere and bars on all the windows and i was like god damn take it a little I easy like they zoomed in on the graffiti that said pride on it. <laughs> right they also zoomed in on just a homeless guy there was just like a homeless guy they were like oh check it out here's a homeless guy i mean like i understand from the boston family's perspective that like uh i grew up in the suburbs of of columbus ohio and then moved downtown when I was like 23 or 24 and I've lived downtown like my whole life. But in those years before I moved downtown, it was fucking weird being downtown. Like it really made me nervous. And uh, it seemed like, and this is downtown Columbus, Ohio. This is not Los Angeles. This isn't New York or anything. This is just, but it did, it did weird me out a little bit to see the city. It like kind of made me nervous. And now it's like I, I don't feel comfortable leaving like the city and and like uh, but that I can understand that suburban family being like, I can't believe they live here, you know, with with all these homeless people around. And it's like, yeah, but, the, you know, there's a lot of cool shit around. too. And <laughs> like, the Boyle Heights family is like, oh, look at this. It's a big two story, like six thousand square foot home. Oh, a nice two stories. And then they go to their house. It's oh, it's a single story. Yeah, they did. They're like that family from Boston. I I had serious like they are me basically. I live in a neighborhood that if the neighborhood was allowed to kick me out, they totally would. <laughs> yes, it's like a very rich neighborhood. The but I got a family was I believe a firefighter and right. alive, and it's and it's like and just so we're clear, like some of these people actually like I think do deserve some money. Like, I'm not going to like oh, say yeah. they don't fucking deserve. No, these are like, oh, no, they actually like deserve something. But the way that they had to handle the briefcase scenario just makes this unpleasant to watch and uneasy. Yeah, it's just gross. It, it, it's it's very much like uh, it, making them like decide who gets what, like making people portion off this money and, and try to, decide if the other people deserve it is gross and it's good that they're getting money i think both families needed money i mean they showed the one family in uh boston that guy was making eighty seven thousand dollars a year but like the cost of living in those cities is fucking crazy like it, it's not cheap and you know he was saying he had an hour commute and they, their car didn't work and He's, he's not a getting firefighter. The kind of and that was their big take. Yeah. Like, and he's a firefighter. He's a hero. He's a first responder. And it's like, well, yeah, this is this is reality. Even first responders are like, right. 
Yeah, the other two people were both teachers, too, which I thought was like, I mean, they should definitely have enough money to live. It sucks. and But that show really shows, like, that we're nowhere near. Our idea of what a living wage is in this country, we're, we're like, we don't have any fucking clue. We don't have any, we're not, like, what the government thinks is a living wage isn't even close. What most of us think is a living wage isn't even close. Everything costs so much money. Everybody has, like, forty thousand dollars of student loans now and it's and or like are underwater on a mortgage when they said those people were seventy thousand dollars underwater on a mortgage i was like i could just look at that and think like i, I would just want to fucking walk out into the woods and die if i saw that. it's it's horrendous and then they have to confront the person, which I believe is why they also like, maybe you should at least donate like something because <laughs> if right. you're the guy with the briefcase and you don't give them anything, you have to be like right in their face going, I'm giving you nothing. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if they like, that's the thing. I don't think these, because of the way they film TV, I'm pretty sure none of these people knew that they were going to meet each other. I would, I would think, but I, I don't know. I don't I, know that for so, sure. Because I know the production secrets here. Hi. <laughs> oh, okay. This is, this is where it comes in my hand. So what happened is there's two crews. There's the crew one, which is with one family, and it's all toward th towards their perspective. And then crew two is with the other family told towards their perspective. The only time they'll actually cross paths is on the same day at LA Union Station. Okay, do they do, do so when the couples start though, do they know they're going to meet the other couple they at do the not. end like they yeah. do not. So that's why I was thinking like I'm surprised nobody just kept it all. I I mean they if they thought it was they have anonymous. Seven, two hours. Do you, do you have 3 days full? Okay, okay. And they yeah. have, and then, and I think they fly via I don't know if they fly by plane but they do have a red line where it's like they had to fly to their home and then they had to fly to Los Angeles. <laughs> Yeah, that part sounds like like thinking about flying like that seems like it sucks to me. Like that that was the part that was like, uh, especially that poor LA family had to go to Boston during the winter. And there's two executive producers who are the main, I guess, hosts. Dave Broom, who I just brought up, he is this like tall dude in a t-shirt and a big earpiece. He's Very the Biggest handsome. Loser guy. That's him. He created Biggest Loser. Yeah, very handsome, very strong looking. He is a me. guy who definitely is a guy who also created Ultimate Beastmaster on Netflix. Oh, did he really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. He seems cool. And strong. So basically, he, he kind of is, I think, has a partnership with Stallone at this point. Which I can see now. I can kind of see with his biceps. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other one yeah. is this nice lady named Faye Stapleton. Faye was a producer for the Fox show the swan where they gave people plastic surgery and then had a beauty pageant just a really good per i remember the swan i watched the swan <laughs> crime scene university on discovery channel and then finally some hell's kitchen episodes okay okay now, the hell's bad kitchen news is bad. after this because because i checked her imd profile nothing else this is her uh -oh. last production <laughs> Oh, yikes. Yeah, it's probably hard to get something made after something like this eats it like that. <laughs> and I, and she is basically the other EP. So what happens is one executive producer is with one briefcase with one family. She's on the other one with the other briefcase. 
and they're telling the same story. Like, you deserve the $101,000. You can spend the $1,000 right now, but after 72 hours, whatever is left in this briefcase is yours. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, that, that, it, it was, it was, it was nice that, uh, like they all immediately wanted to hand out the money, right? Like they all immediately were like, let's just give the other family all the money. Fuck it. Let's just wash my hands of it. I don't want to look bad on TV. No, they did not know this. All they knew because they signed up for was a documentary series about the economy because this was in the post-2008 world. The economy crashed. A lot of realtors lost their jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a realtor. Yeah. She was a realtor with a fire, with the with the firefighter. And then the other two, the one we saw, were teachers, and they have a community, like a community teaching seminar where they help a lot of people in Boyle Heights, especially children and teenagers, get off the street and just play some mariachi music and have fun parties and learn how to play music. Yeah. So that it was, was like, good. oh, that's Those a nice little people. story. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, of course, it, I guess they were trying to go for, like, the... I think they were trying to go for opposites, because that seems to be what they were going for with almost every one of these episodes. Uh, they were trying to yeah. go for opposites in terms of identity. Like, is an atheist and a Catholic going to get along? Did they do that one? Did they do that one? Oh no, they did a lesbian family and a and a and a priest uh, priest family. Uh, I'm sure that was offensive as hell to watch. Oh yeah. Oh no, and there was. Uh, what did they just assume like that a guy from Boston would be racist against? The I think so. <laughs> That's exactly what they were going for. That's a good really stereotype I mean. and everything. <laughs> <laughs> that is a decent assumption. You, it's a, it's safe, I think, to assume they were doing that the a casting like, would... Who can we get for the Boyle Heights family? Boston firefighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, that no, this is like so... probably the least racist firefighter in Boston. Like, it's just this guy going, they have less stuff than we do. <laughs> yeah, he seemed really nice. Well, that's the shittiest part about the show is each family saying like, ah, man, they're worse off than we are. And you're like, ah, we shouldn't be arguing like this. It's like it, you feel like so good because they're giving each other stuff. But you also feel like, ah, um, like well, it almost is like they, a, is Alec, they have the hundred grand. That's all they know is we only have the 100 grand. We don't know the other family does. So it's. Well, I'm giving away forty thousand dollars to the other family, or I'm giving like sixty thousand. I'm going to give a little bit more. The other person is going to be like, "Well, that means we're only left with forty grand or sixty grand out of the hundred grand." And you know, we could have done this and we could have done that. Yeah, it's a bummer too because, like, in the end, when they find out what the thing is, they sit them across from each other, and and. Uh, well, I really felt for the Boyle Heights family at the end because they they did they gave fifty thousand dollars and they then the fifty fifty, which is what everyone would most likely assume fifty fifty split. Yeah. That's and, fair. And the Melonsons, who uh, were the gave away all of it. Yeah, which seems so unfair. Like, I was kind of mad at them for giving away all of it in the end, but they didn't know. They had no idea. So they just kind of figured, like, well, there's $100,000. I'm supposed to split it up with this family. I don't think I need it as much as they do. So, you know, they can just have it. I, I get that, especially after, like, looking at their house. 
you know, and, and like after they saw that family's house, it, it was, you know, maybe they did need some help and like they're good. They get, I'm going to say the most Midwestern thing in the world, but they take a ton of that in taxes too. Oh, like yeah. a lot of that money's getting taxed. Oh yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a rough show a bit. I mean, I watch so many of these variations. Like, I watch names where it's like Prisoner's Dilemma, and you only have one. Do you split or sh- do you split or do you steal? There, there's all sorts of these these types of, of game theory based game shows. Like, if there was like a hundred grand and you can vote to split it with your friend or steal the whole amount, what do you vote? But if you both hit split, you both get fifty grand. But if one steals, the other splits the. Sp- the splitter gets nothing and the steel gets everything. But if you both steal, you lose everything. <laughs> like that's that's like 80% of the prisoners dilemma based game shows. They here's one that actually has like a quantitative element of you can give how much you want. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I also like that. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I like, but I'm so torn about stuff like this because there is like a, a, I think it's great to show people being brutally honest about their finances. I mean, that, that street fight is is like two guys being brutally i mean for a very long time very honest about you know whatever bad financial shit i mean we used to we still do but it's been a while cuz we make a little better money now but we used to like have a calendar that we would flip back to zero when one of us overdrew our bank account you know so it was like uh, people being brutally honest about finances is, as Marxists would say, a quick way to class consciousness. And I think that's important that we we do talk about like a family that makes eighty seven thousand dollars with with kids and in a place like Boston isn't rich. They don't have a ton of money and they they know that, but they think that they should be doing better. Like, I think that family in, in Boston truly just thinks they should be doing better. They fucked up. I, and there's even a period where, where the woman is like, yeah, so much of ours is consumer debt. Theirs was school debt. So theirs was actually good debt and our debt was bad. And it's like, no, that's not true at all. Like the, the, the credit card companies are also taking advantage of people. You know, it's not just student loans that's taking advantage of people. It's it's credit card companies. It's all kinds of things are taking advantage of people. So nobody's debt is more noble. I mean, I guess like Donald Trump's debt is not noble at all, but you know, nobody's debt in in a situation like this is more noble than anybody else's, I guess. And, and that's not even including other debt-based game shows like Dead or Paid Off. And that's not even including like weird, crazy-ass game shows like Repo Games, which I guess I have to cover eventually. I've never heard of Repo Games, but that sounds okay, like something. Okay, it's either going to be you or it's going to be Brett then. Hear, the, hear me out. What if you couldn't pay your car payment and it's like a really shitty car, so then a tow truck driver shows up to your house and is towing your is about to tow your car and then knocks on the door and says, we're towing your car unless you play a game show. Okay. If you get well. three right before getting three wrong, you not only get to keep your car, we're paying off the rest of the payments. Oh my God. That is fucking crazy. It's terrible, but it's good. I mean, I and want And then the if they lose, it. and then if they lose, they tow the fucking car and then you get them pissed okay, off at crazy. you. It's all... That's... That's wild. What what channel was that? This on? was on Spike TV. 
Oh, uh, that's, yeah, the channel that brought you Mansers. <laughs> How many farts <laughs> can fit inside? <laughs> also, Average Joe, though, which was actually a good uh, reality I thought that was show. a nice one. And, and Joe Schmo. That, that uh, yeah, that's what it was. Joe Schmo. That's what it was. I thought, the, yeah, that uh, show was crazy as hell. Fun fact, the guy who uh, created that show, the the uh, Warnick and Reese, they are the, the screenwriters for the Deadpool movies. Okay, and me and Brad are big fans of the Deadpool movies, so there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> makes perfect sense. Uh, so I, I, going back to the a lot of dead based game shows, and a lot of it's it's it, when I was looking at the research, I'm like, this is poverty porn, isn't they're trying to go for poverty porn? And look how f- sorry these people are. But I think what the producers were trying to go for when because I have to think on the production level, why do you create this? It is. What gives people who know they are in a world of hurt financially, can they still be charitable? Can they still have a heart for other people? I think that's what they were trying to go for in this. And that was the big dilemma. Yeah. I mean, it's, but yeah, it it speaks real well to like how real, how people are, like how, how we're kind of separated I, I don't know. We, we are ultra. It seems like we're supposed to be very competitive with each other, but I, I really don't think most people are. That's, that's kind of a lie that, that you read through TV and stuff like that. Cause this show shows like, we're not naturally competitive people. We, we want to help each other out. We want to do like, everybody just kind of wants to do the right thing. It's not, I don't, oh, it's all mine. I deserve it. I fucking live. I'm, by, they're I'm not always, here to make friends. I'm here to yeah. win. Yeah, none of that stuff is true. It did this show actually did ring true about people that I grew up around or people that I know in my life. Like this show was like it did show that people in a tough situation tend to band together and try to help each other out. But it, it was done in a way like it just like if this was not a show and this was just a thing that somebody did. It would be like, oh, okay, this is okay. This is good that somebody does like some rich guy just does this, which that would also be weird though too if it wasn't. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, uh, it wouldn't be that bad if they weren't like trying to make a ton of money off of it out of commercials and stuff like that. Like this is a decent little exercise to do, I guess. <laughs> which the production budget, if you're thinking about this, the price means no matter what, every episode. The production company has to be out two hundred and two thousand dollars, no matter what. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for sure. That that does make it a little. But I mean, I'm sure game shows. Like, I'm sure everything else is super cheap on it, though. You know, it's just like a couple camera guys, okay. like saying, "Hey, everybody, go play like mariachi music in this fucking." Uh, guitar store and, you they, know? and they play in the guitar store and they're trying their best to hide the fact that the boston family was right next door looking over a window yeah i wonder that my guess is that they they had to fucking know you know <laughs> they had to be like come on the more we play the more money we might make yeah and why are why are the cameras in that other room like why why is why are the cameras in that guy here at, the, at this guitar store that we're at like it, it just it seemed weird like i assume they knew like it sucks having all the magic sucked out of tv but you know what are you gonna do i i i uh 
I, I can't look at it the same after filming a few things. I'm like, oh, this is all takes place out of order. I know this. It it it, it does, and it's it's a rough yeah. But at least they kind of have a nice premise. I that's why it's like I can't get so angry because I think it's a nice, decent idea of a show. I think they didn't have. Sp- I don't think when they created the show in mind, they wanted to be spiteful, mean. <laughs> They really wanted to be like a charitable show. Like, hey, a lot of people want to donate for good reasons, but can people see in each other's uh, struggles? Can they? Can they? Yeah. Give a good... And in the first episode they ever aired, which was the one that got the most views, uh, six point eight seven million. Uh, it was called the Bronsons and the Bergens, and it had the best finale. I would say the finale. I think they were trying to go for the most. Where it was one family gave away everything. And then the other family also gave away everything. So no matter what happens, you both get $100,000. It's just not, you didn't keep it for yourself. Yeah, that's the best ending. And I think that's probably even, like, the thing is, that's probably the ending the show was going for, too, right? Like, they probably were like, it's better than nicer than people are to each other. I mean, I'm sure they would have loved it if somebody gave nothing. But I don't think they went. It's like we have a camera on you, and yeah, I don't think they would have. I I I don't think they went in thinking anybody was going to keep it all. I I think they went in hoping somebody kept it all, but I don't think they believed that anybody would do that. That would be pretty ruthless to keep all of it. And then it's on television, and they're just thinking like, I did not know I wanted to be on a game show, and now I do, and now I have all this money. People are hating me. What the? Yeah, well, yeah, and you're looking at this other person's problems, and you're like, eh, not that bad, not that. Then you go look through their house, and it's like, yeah, this is pretty nice. Fuck it, I'll just keep all the money. I need it more than they do. So I, I gave you this episode because I would say it's the roughest ending of the ep- of all six, because the two passing is like the best ending. The others are kind of like pseudo versions of like undercover boss. So it's like, yeah. I will give you, oh, I heard that your son is going to college, so here's 20 grand. Like, that's it. Yeah. Just here's 20 grand. And so now- this, the ending of this one was one family kept 50, and the other one gave all the money. And this one was, like, it was pretty positive. And, and you know what? The Boston family really handled it well. I have to give them credit, because we're all humans. We're not always our best people. And when they saw that they were only getting 50 grand, they had to end their mind be like, God damn, man, you know, <laughs> you could have given me a little more money. The one before but- it was a lesbian couple and they, they adopted two kids. And then there was a Texan Catholic family. And the, it was basically, you know, can you see the differences? Cause you know, totally different. And they were going straight into the, Oh, they love Obama. Oh, they like this. I don't like that. And ultimately, the Catholic family gave them $25,000. Oh, yeah. Yikes. And then the the family, the other family, donated $99,600, keeping $400 for each member of the family. Sick. Like, that is fucking... I mean, honestly, that ending is uh not bad though it's like it shows like these catholics kept seventy five thousand dollars well and they were going and they were saying nice things like no you're a family i never saw that before but a family is a family i might not agree with your sexuality 
but you all have a family and you all show love and that's all that matters. <laughs> like, but yeah. And they kept most of the money. That is so good. Oh, I mean, it gets like rough. showing up, showing conservative people like that is, is like, or showing like uh, religious people like that is always amazing. It's always the greatest. Oh, then I got to send you episode three then for probably okay. Patreon <laughs> exclusive. Uh, so other than that, one was like 10 grand. The other was 15 grand. One was 11,000. The other was 20 grand. Okay. Okay. Like it's, it yeah. was very low. It was very low donations. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that because they were feeling like, well, whatever they get is more than they had. You know, that's probably what a lot of the thinking was. Because even with me, when, when I was watching, my wife was down here, I was like, I would just, I mean, I would probably just keep, you know, $30,000 or something because I feel like I can make that work for a while. And I didn't have any of this money before. So I would, like, I think I, I, think I thought, like, just take thirty grand and then figure out what the rest of the taxes are going to be so that you have thirty grand and take that and then give them you know, give them whatever. Who cares? Yeah, that's why I was always getting a 50 50 split. Cause it's like, well, that'll give me about 35 grain. I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> like just 50 50 split. We'll both have 35. We'll be fine. Yeah. And it's fair splitting at 50 50 back. Like got Catholic plant family is probably like, this is, that sounds like communism to me. I don't like this at all. <laughs> What's next. <laughs> Everyone's going to enjoy soy products. Yeah. <laughs> they all, they're going to tell me to listen to hip hop music. Oh, I would love that. Though. If, <laughs> if Catholic people, if the, if old Texas Catholics had to listen to like good rap music, maybe that would change their mind. No, like none of that. So, I mean, my opinion on that kind of thing is just like, just let them not have any control. That's, that's where my anarchism comes in. It's just like, just go away. Like, don't make laws. Don't do anything. Just go away with the like those Catholic. Uh, it's so funny to hear that the Catholic people kept seventy five thousand dollars. Oh yeah, because <laughs> to, it was like to a lesbian family. And the thing was, I was rooting for the lesbian family the entire time because they because they were California, obviously. And it's just like they're just like just like all it was was like oh they have a really bad apartment, and it's like yeah. what the hell? That's you're not. And they're yeah. like educated their teachers like all the stuff that you make them root for yeah yeah absolutely yeah uh, i mean that was what the the boyle heights family was like two teachers you're like just wanted to root for those people they were they were wonderful i don't think uh and then i i guess that's what they were trying to go for anyway so time magazine says that this was the worst game show ever made nice okay okay so it has some credibility a New York Post article. Remember the New York Post? Uh, I do. They, 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 they basically bombasted the show. Uh, it was called on the Huffington Post, Sophie's Choice for the Financially Strapped. Yeah, it is bad. I mean, it is like a mean concept. And it, it, whoever came up with it was mean. Whoever uh, picked it up and decided to put it on TV was mean. And all the people involved in making it were mean people and, and they just went and found like really great likable people and put them in this situation put them in this like 
bad situation and like played a game with them. A morality tale from says the Miami Herald in altruism pornography, according to Vulture. That's good. Altruism pornography is great. Uh, so then David Broom, who we'll keep talking about. I hate to target David Broom, but he, I mean, he's okay. He has Ultimate Beastmaster. <laughs> I, he was interviewed. I feel like I'm the devil right now. I have to tell you, I'm shocked. Fans who watch the show are overwhelmingly positive. What's blowing me away and what's pissing me off is that the show is being mischaracterized. Some of the reports are factually incorrect to the point of irresponsible journalism. What what reports are you talking? I'd love to hear what the reports that he thought were incorrect. Oh, here we go. Wednesday night episodes feature a married lesbian couple, Tanya and Leela Bailey Stewart, who live in Boston and have two children in private school. And Matt and Becky Wiley, who live in Rio Vista, Texas, and have two daughters. Both families are struggling to pay their bills. Don't tell me this is taking poverty-stricken people and pinning them against each other, says a defiant broom, who appears on camera giving the briefcase to the Bailey Stewarts. I don't want the media portraying it like that. And, oh, wow, he actually brings up exactly what he said. We're talking two typical middle-class families. That's the starting point for us. And to see headlines about poverty-stricken people being pitted against each other, that's horrifically sad and misleading to the real poverty-stricken people in this country. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was, though. I mean, because they show their bills and stuff like that. So that's that. What, what are they getting at with that? You know, the spirit of the show is less about money and more about finding a common bond between strangers. People are making it seem like we're making the Hunger Games and getting poor people to fight over money. We're not. If you tell me you, that you saw a show and hate it, that's fine. I respect that. I've been making shows for 20 years. People hated The Biggest Loser. Is yeah, the show about money? Yes, to some extent it is. But it's money that gets you into conversations about gays, Christians, family values. We're dealing with real everyday issues. I want to make sure we stir up conversations in households. My takeaway yeah. is to educate and inform. I want to make shows that make a difference. And that's what the briefcase is all about. I don't know. I don't think it made much of a difference. Nobody <laughs> I was watched it. Ask, like, Did it really make a difference? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I understand the uh, idea to make a game show that like is supposed to be educational about like the struggling economy or working class people. I, I just didn't really have it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to make a game show like that, just make a. I mean, I don't think we should be making game shows to like put poor. Like, I don't think that the way to, to like dig out of poverty should be game show. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> I was telling you before the recording why I, I it's like, look, game shows are ultra capitalistic. I, I can't argue that. It's it's celebrating people winning trivia questions for knowing answers about corporate movies or about brand name slogans. It, that's all it is. But when when I was like in high school, like college era, and I'm seeing these like people give their sob stories on like deal or no deal or minute to win it. It's it. It's like, OK, that's I guess that's fine. They have a reason to be on the game show. But then they royally eat shit and they just lose. Right. And then you have to watch them. You, you're like sitting there watching who wants to be a millionaire and and they're talking about like, oh, you know, all I need is this amount of money. And then 
something makes them go further on than they should have or and it's like this what story are you fucking telling about about people you know like what what story are we trying to tell so so that's what's like no this is not right i'm okay if it's like hey throw throw like a cruise throw a trip i don't care price is right a very friendly show it's a will of the people to help some stranger out on the in the audience to win a car or something like everyone's yeah, there to root I mean, for the guy. I'm not like against game. I I don't like the idea of like game shows spe- specifically targeting like people with sad stories or like people that are broke. I mean, I guess if somebody's got to do it, then I'd rather it be somebody that need the money. But there's also something gross about like not giving them the money if they lose or like if they don't know the answer to or the, if they don't know what the like regular price is of like an oral B toothbrush or something like that. Yeah. Like it, that's just, it just doesn't feel right. So it's yeah. like, to me, it's like, this is like the, the best job and the worst job for me to cover game shows. Cause I love this genre so much because a lot of people love the play along or they love the storytelling there's, or the competition in some regards. If you're talking like a jeopardy for instance, but it's, it's shows like this where it, they kind of had a right idea, but a wrong approach that make me just unease. It, it's a, I call it shit lib theory. It's the, well, if we just throw money at it, maybe it will work. Yeah. I mean, again, like, it's like if we give these people money, then it's not a bad thing. But that, if you say it, like they don't say it that way, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, we give these people money or the opportunity to have money. It's not a bad thing. That sounds bad when you say it out loud, but they don't say it that way. They don't. And they're trying to make it feel like, Oh, this is feel good television. And we're learning how we're all in this together. And normally at this part, I would ask, should the show be revived? If so, how, how would you remake this show? (laughs) I mean, look, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I don't like the premise and I don't I don't like what they did, but I don't know that I, I really can't think of a way to revive it. I, I can't think of a way to make it okay to Are do but I got it. I got the idea. Okay. You throw away the second family. You know yeah. you know if it's a, here's a hundred thousand dollars and send me two hours. And you Brewster millions it. You have to spend all 100 grand in 72 hours. You can't deposit into a bank. You can pay off bills. You can pay stuff. You can buy shit. But if you any, if you have any money left over, it's oh, it's out. Yeah, I mean, I think you could have both families. I think you could have everything. But I, I, I think like because I think a second season of this show would have probably. I would have been more okay with. I think the the, the reason it, you know there's another family that has the hundred grand, right? And they know that because they saw the first season, and then you know develop. They they know what's going to happen on this show. If you're on the briefcase, you know what happens. But there were only six episodes, and and in those six those six episodes were filmed before any of them aired, and that's what I don't like about it. That's what's dirty about it. So I guess. I would say uh, if this show had been a hit and more than a, a few hundred thousand people had seen it, then yeah, fuck it. Just it's fine to do another season. The first season was bad, but we'll give you a mulligan. But that that's not the case, you no, know? So I would just, say, no, it shouldn't be revived. <laughs> it should just, 
Or just like have it be so it's the any money you don't spend after 72 hours goes to the family. So then it's like, well, you got all your shit out of the way. Now that you have all your yeah. shit out of the way, you have like 20 grand left. I mean, that is a good con. I mean, if somebody gave me 100 grand and I could just spend $65,000 on my student loans, I would do that Done. immediately. That would have been it. That would have been like, student loans is gone. Now that you have that, you have 35,000 left. What do you want to do? Yeah, I, I mean, pay my wife's student loans. I have a thing on Street Fight that I talk about all the time where like, all I need to do is figure out some way to find some rich person or corporation to write me a $200,000 check and I'm fixed completely. I'm done. I don't have to do anything else. I can be happy. I'm not living under a, a cloud of debt. But until that happens, it's like everything. I, I feel like I'm just running and hiding from creditors for the rest of my life. <laughs> Please, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to try and, and vouch and say, hey, if, if you are a nice corporate sponsor and you want to fund Street Fighter. I mean, just give me a TV show. Listen, give me and Brett a TV show. Give us about $700,000 to make the TV show. And then each of us will take $200,000 and spend the rest on the TV show. I, I'd say go for it if you need like uh well you have like some we have like our, our friends in the circles obviously they'll probably support you and, and help write <laughs> but, oh I I mean I, I I would love to get a TV show but I I don't think that our thing uh particularly would work well on TV oh I like the idea of just you and <laughs> just like. And that's why corporate environments don't work. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Well, it's just, you know, Street Fight uh, is got where it is by uh, doing semi-legal things until we got caught. And uh, we're just not good at being legal and good. You know, we, we pay our taxes. The, sh the, the show is, like, good on taxes and stuff. But, you know, we... You, we built our Patreon on uh, mailing Kratom to people and sold CBD and Kratom, which is semi-gray market shit. And just like some of the things we've said and done on the show are borderline There was a times. viral video <laughs> with Jeff Bezos <laughs> on a live show, and I love that moment. Right, yeah. So there's a bunch of things that, that like just – it's impossible. It's impossible for me to think that somebody would ever sign up to have us on TV. But I guess I can throw this in there. Donate to Means TV because yeah, they no, will definitely put us that. on Means TV. I, I was talking over uh, a little bit. Um, I, I was talking to. Have you have you played Nine in the Woods? It's a, I have it's a not, video game no. series. Uh, so I, w I was playing to one Scott Benson uh, in an earlier episode, and he was plugging Means TV as well. And oh, that's cool. And he is he has his chapter in the Pittsburgh DSA. And the 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 exciting thing is is I think a lot of people do want to support Means TV. I love the concept. It's it's co op of of all these media personalities, and it, it's. The way I looked at it, even though everyone's going to think like, no, it's not it, Jordan. It's a much better PBS. Well, I yeah, it sort of. I, I, I he is shooting for something that is very cool. Like he he, I don't think he's trying to do PBS. I think he's trying to make something. He's trying to make real shit. Like uh, I think the best analog to it is Vice. Yes, but. 
better than Vice. Because they got Trillbillies on. They got some people from Street Fight on recently. There was some viral video and meme going around for a bit. Have you seen this meme? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, we're filming a special with them. Like, they're going to do our comedy special that we're doing soon. Amazing stuff. In a theater. Like, Nick is a buddy of ours. I mean, if you want to hear the quick thing on Means TV is that uh, about three years ago, me and Brett got invited to do do comedy at a cannabis carnival in the middle of fucking Michigan at, at a racetrack. That and just sounds night- fucking cool, though, actually. <laughs> it was something. And uh, a 19-year-old kid named Nick got a hold of Brett and said, hey, do you mind if I come and, like, film you guys and, like, interview you and shit like that? And he was like, well, I don't fucking care. And, and he showed up and he filmed us. He made this, like, really great video. And uh, he was very easy to work with. He was never in our face. If If he could tell if I got annoyed, he would disappear and shit. And he was just really – he's a great guy. And then uh, we just started taking him on tour with us uh, whenever we did live shows and he would film our live shows. And then the next thing you know, he's always talking about, he had always been talking about a concept like Means TV. And then the next thing you know, he does the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez video and he's like really launching this thing. I saw that documentary and I was blown away to see like, how Ocasio really was a nobody. Like, no one knew who the hell she was. She was walking down the street doing absolutely nothing. And then that big explosion at the end where it's like, no, she has the notoriety. Yeah, and he, like, he actually, like, that dude, like, Mains TV is going to have so much. There's already a lot of, like, content that people would fucking love uh, that he has for that. From us, at the very least, there's a... uh there is a uh, live show that is uh, a, a competition, a, a sort of a comedy competition between us and and the podcast WrestleSplania. Hey, Kate. There, yeah, there is a uh, there's another one that is uh, me and Brett and the guys from Chapo Trap House uh, talking about Satanism and uh, watching like live watching uh, videos about satanic panic and stuff like that. And it's like, there's just all this like really cool stuff that he has that is going to be on there when it launches. This is the and kind of like, shit like high school me would just be like freaking the hell out about like, what right. is going on here? You could do this. Like, the stuff that he has is so cool. And the stuff that he allows the stuff that he wants to film with us is fucking pretty edgy and very cool. And it's like, I, I don't know. I can't recommend it enough. I can't recommend subscribing and, and like trying to, you know, help push that thing enough. That thing is going to have so many opportunities for so many like really cool people. Like, like you said, like the Trillbillies, like the District Sentinel guys, like, uh, like, uh, fuck Jake, Jake Flores from Pod Damn America is doing stuff with them. And, and this it's, is not it's for the there is cool. Pod Damn America, not Pod Save America. That's a, that's a baby show for babies. Yeah, no, Pod Damn America is a cool person show. Maybe get Alex Patak specials on there. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's it's very cool. And and like, there's just, we want, I want to, our goal, mine and Brett's goal is to build something real. And like, uh, so we're, 
with you know nick is doing a lot of really cool stuff uh we're gonna i'll just say it on your show i haven't like really super announced this isn't announced i mean this will be out in like a month or so so you'll be okay so it might be announced by them but we're going on tour with the district sentinel radio guys and the trillbillies whoa Uh, we're taking them out on the road and doing a, a a tour this summer and uh we're gonna we're really doing like we're really trying to build a community a big a big, huge, happy community of people who are doing things that uh, have have sort of a social conscious and that are also funny and cool. And uh, you know, it, this isn't like I just a told super you have political to be boring thing. and talk about Marxist theory and that that's communism yeah. and that you're going to wreck America by doing this. But I, all I'm hearing exactly is the jokes. I'm just hearing <laughs> jokes about bosses and work relations. And then some some slightly offensive stuff. Go figure. You could still be offensive. Well, yeah. I, well, it's actually fairly easy to be offensive if you hate America like we all do. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, if, if Means TV is listening to this, and I'm guessing they might be, uh, please, I have a resume available if you want uh, some leftist game shows. I'm... I know it's possible. I am. A- hey, I would. I. I. You know. I'm. See now. I'm. I'm like blowing all my cool things. But that we actually, me and Brad have a tour doc that are just ideas for future tours, and one of them is game shows. So I might need to. I might have to try to get you to help me out with uh, constructing something sometime. Because <laughs> I've all you need to know quickly of how to make a leftist game show is there are different types of game shows. There is, I will, I'll, I will spoil it right now. Most game shows are like man versus man where, you know, it's like, if you are smarter than that guy, if you know, more, get more money than the other person on wheel of fortune, for instance, you win the prize, you, you go on, you're the winner. But what if it's a game show where it's group versus the house? Like if deal or no deal is you versus the banker and the banker is technically the house. Yeah. Or it's, uh, or for instance, uh, let's just say, fucking who wants to be a millionaire it's also man versus house what is it what i mean isn't the idea of these escape rooms sort yes, of a man that versus is a house group idea? based a group game versus show a house? that is the kind yeah. of game shows that would be considered leftist because it is people working off each other's strengths to reach a common goal which is escape i never thought of that until you said that but now it's like yeah, escape rooms are actually kind of good <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and there are different game shows. I, I like to point towards the Crystal Maze in the UK as an example. Uh, in terms of American game shows, MTV's Fear from like the 90s, 2000s. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that show. Because they were not competing against each other. They were a team. Everyone gets $5,000. So when someone's freaking out and having a panic attack over ghosts, here's someone in here come going, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Hang in there. I love ghost stuff. I, 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 me and Brett have gone ghost hunting twice. There, I think there's actually a video of us talking about ghost hunting for Means TV, if I'm not mistaken. You are now. You're really just spoiling all the content here. Well, I mean, I'm not saying what we did, you know. So it's. I think it's really neat, and I think it's cool. I mean, the tour though is big news, so it's not out yet. I, I'm I, firm, think, I guess what? you know what fuck the briefcase i wouldn't just keep looking at these meets tvs and look at the live show and look at all these great events well, that, there might be a tour doc too i mean i think means tv is coming along for that tour actually and it's, i, I it's guess basically if game show advice it, i'll definitely be here i'm i guess the go-to <laughs> leftist game show guy 
(laughs) That's great. That's great. Yeah, we'll be doing. uh, Here, I'll just I'll just say it. We're doing uh, DC, Washington DC. We're doing uh, what? Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Birmingham, Alabama, and we will be ending in Atlanta during the DSA convention. Conveniently. Wow. (laughs) What a coincidence. Yeah, I always show. Somehow, Street Fight always has a live show in the same city as the DSA convention. I don't know how the fuck that happens. Have you ever noticed it's also where there's a nice chapter as well? (laughs) Just yeah, it is cool though. The DSA is always there at our live shows. We let them table at our live shows, and like I always like I, you know, your activist group will gain respect from me if you table at the live shows because we've always been very open about it that anybody can table unless you're racist or something. Obviously you can't table or you're conservative, but like, uh, you know, we just did Maine and we had Maine access points, which is a uh, drug harm reduction group handing out Narcan at our show. And we had the IWW, the industrial workers of the world at our show. And I just, I think it's really cool that like, and the DSA showed up in Boston. And I just think it's really cool that, you know, you can come, you can see our live show, you can participate in our live show. There's chants and stuff like that. And, you know, you can sign up for the DSA or you can sign up for the IWW where you can fit, you can get Narcan and learn how to use it. And that's a very important skill. And that's, that's what I mean. Like we're trying to build something. Like I always think about in the, in the nineties, when that, when the alternative comedy boom hit that, that really blew me away. Like I, I remember I was I was very young, but Mr. Show oh, blew Bob me away. David. Guys like Patton Oswald, who I'm interviewing on Sunday, blew me away. And like uh I I I like the, that kind of stuff was amazing. And I wanna like I wanna do that. You know, I wanna I I I want to make something that is a scene, that is a real thing that people go and see that 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 is uh, different and that and it, it is leftist like o- o- overtly is, very leftist well, you know is, you are currently in that i wouldn't say grunge phase i would say you're in that the the actual punk phase you're actually in that punk phase where it's like event like i know this is going to take off i already know means it's going to take off i already know street fight's going to keep going and keep catapulting this is going to be kind of like the juiciest street fight i saw at the cbg <laughs> Well, I, I, yeah, I hope so. I mean, it's, it's wild. We, we, we just did our first West Coast tour, which is not anything that I ever expected would happen because I'm just an idiot. We're just two rednecks from like the east side of Columbus, Ohio. Which so I, the idea, and I'll still that, say this. I'll before you, I'll interrupt you on that. I'll still say this. I think leftists will win when it's the Midwest because if it comes yeah. from me, the West Coast dude, or hate see the Brooklynites, but they're going to keep because that's all that's going to happen. They're going to get attacked for, for being coastal elitists. Well, yeah, I, I think yeah, it's funny because I always feel like we really dodge. We we get to dodge so much criticism because of the fact that we both are just guys that worked <laughs> real jobs who uh, live in the Midwest that 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 are older and have children and wives and all that stuff. Like it almost feels. I, people are very nice to us is what I'll say. We don't, we don't have a lot of people who hate our guts. Obviously there are people that don't like us because we have a point of view, 
you know, but you have a smartphone, that, I heard. <laughs> yeah, but it is is one of those things like those Brooklyn people are really trying and they're all like when you go out and meet the Brooklyn people, they're they're good people. They're very nice. Like I just went out there and, and I, uh, I, I hung out with the Antifada podcast. I hung out with Jake Flores. I, you know, obviously I always hang out with the Chapo guys. They're, they're very good friends of mine. And uh, uh, Leslie Lee, I hung out with. And uh, when we were in LA, I hung with Jack. And it's like two guys from the Midwest are, are like going to New York and, and like overselling live shows. Or we went to LA and, and people told us before we went to LA, like, hey, uh, don't feel bad if you don't sell that many tickets. Nobody sells many tickets in Los Angeles. And we fucking sold the show out. You know, and, and like, it, it's really cool. It, it really feels like something is happening. Actually, a thing, and, and this is genius for any comedians. Uh, I, I, I know I shouldn't be giving advice because how long have I really been doing it? I'm not a stand up, but uh, talk about airline food. <laughs> we did Portland, Maine. And uh, Will Meneker from Chapo said, hey, you know, don't take it too tough. If Portland, Maine is hard to get laugh is like kind of a stiff crowd. They, they're, they're kind of, uh, they're kind of quiet. So, so the first thing I said when I walked out on stage was, uh, Will Meneker said, you guys are, are kind of <laughs> a stiff crowd. <laughs> exactly <laughs> I want to hear you guys be rowdy. And it was one of the rowdiest shows we've ever done. <laughs> so uh, just tell love the crowd to that somebody <laughs> called them. Yeah, just tell just tell the crowd that somebody said they suck, and then they'll be awesome. That's that's how I handle it. Oh no! Now I mean now, now means I have to eventually get Will Meneker on this show. Damn it! Oh, he's he's a sweetie pie. You will love that guy. He, he's like I said, the the Chapo guys get a lot of shit, but uh, they never had to mention us on their show. You know what I mean? They they never they blew up, man, and uh, they're doing very well, and they don't need any friends in the business here. You know? They're not here to make friends. They're here to make content <laughs> and podcasts. Well, they don't need uh, they don't need us. They don't at all. And they have always been very like if I ask them to do something, they're always there. They never make it hard. They they show up for everything. That and was a uh, great guest. I had Matt on like 3 months ago doing the apprentice. Yeah. And this was like yeah. when I just started. Like no one knows who the hell I am. <laughs> Yeah, well, they did a fucking they did a tour and uh, they came to Ohio and they could have done Cleveland or Cincinnati and it would have made a thousand times more sense. And they did Columbus and they did that for me and Brett. Like they came here and did their live show here instead of Cleveland, which is closer to Detroit and is an easier easier thing. They came to this city to do a show in our hometown with us and like they didn't have to fucking do that. So, I mean, people give them a lot of shit and I don't see it. I've, I've hung around with them forever and they've never been creepy or fucking weird around me. I've never like gotten any bad vibes off of them. And I, I would fucking say if I did, because you know, I, I, I don't care. So, so if, here's my pitch. Okay. So we're giving a briefcase of 100,000 followers <laughs> on social media and what you don't can, you can keep them. You can uh, split it. Or you can give it all away to as much. Well, let, let me say something here. Uh, less followers, the better. I can tell. 
I still haven't just, reached that phase yet where people keep mass producing me emails like, uh, in this episode, you said this, and I yeah. disagree. I'm, I'm not that level yet. I have, I have been called this is too political of a podcast, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I get a lot of shit. Uh, I, I mean, I don't get a ton of shit. People are nice to me. But uh, I, I think that, like... Uh, I, I think like when you get more followers, there's a lot more of a chance of people taking everything you say a hundred percent literally and yeah. not really kind of getting your character or irony or anything like that, which I'm not a big irony guy, you know, me and Brett kind of yeah. weirdly the, the, the get Shrek, lumped in. Sonic, the Hedgehog, Garfield <laughs> posting me, me and yeah, me and Brett get lumped in with irony kind of podcasting because we're friends with all of them but Sorry, i, I tend felix, to think, but we love felix but yeah i, I, like, no, you I tend to are, think street I, fight is why ultra i love you guys because you just are always upfront with people <laughs> like, yeah it's like ultra sincerity is, is what we call and i think it's important that we do that it, it, one because it's important that just like we're different but also, it, it's like uh, you can be funny and sincere too. I just want to show that, and and I also think that like having a bunch of different shows that do different things is is very healthy for a scene. You know, that's why my that's why I that's why my comedy is mostly exactly the same. It's it's I call it wholesome, just because it's like lighthearted. I post hamburgers at night. I think that we talked about hamburgers one night, just out of like, where did you find that hamburger? And I love hamburgers. And it's this. Uh, and it's this thing where it's like, I love the idea of just my username is Jordan, like it's Jordan Haas or it's Jordan Ha or any variations of my real name, because it's always funny when I'm grouped in with other people that it's like, oh, who, who, who is Bastard99, who is <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog and Naruto and then Jordan. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> Uh, but there is one last thing we got to do here, Brian. I have a okay. lightning round. Like any, like any game show podcast, you need to have a game show element. Okay, I'm ready. I I'm excited to do a game show element. Although I am, uh, just as a warning for your listeners who might not know who I am, I am an enormous burnout and druggy. So lightning is not my strong suit. <laughs> Luckily, we're not going outside to do this. <laughs> and, and I don't think this involves jewel pods, so I think you're fine. <clears throat> okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. So we have 60 seconds and five questions for every correct answer that you get. It's one free plug. Most podcasts usually give you two. You can win five. Okay, okay. But what you do with the these plugs is up for you. You can keep it for yourself. <laughs> you can take some or give it all okay, away. Okay, okay. I'm going to give them all to Chapo Trap House. So <laughs> let, let's do this. All right. 60 seconds on the clock. Besides $100,000, name something you would like to see that fits inside a briefcase. Uh, fucking candy. Favorite shark on Shark Tank. Mr. Wonderful. Weirdest board game you've seen. Horseopoly. Best wrestling tag team. Oh, shit. Uh, probably the Lucha Bros. Best burger place in Ohio. Oh, shit. Okay, I'm going to say this, and it's going to really bum people out. Five guys. <laughs> okay, done. <laughs> I guess you got five. You won all five plugs, but you probably made a few enemies along the way, too. Yeah, but well, five, five guys. does have a pretty damn good hammer. 
Not a lot of good hamburgers, though, at Five Guys. So, you know. What's how you make it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like Five Guys. I ain't going to argue. I'm not arguing either. I, I I mean, it's to me, I would argue about the fries, though. Yeah. No, they're good. I like them. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't argue with any. Five Guys is a terrible fucking place. It's got the worst atmosphere in the fucking world. And uh, the food is only like done good like 50% of the time. I, I shake. We don't have Shake Shack here, which I really like. It's that's not here. So like, we have a place in town called Thurman's that is very famous. Arnold, they have a Arnold Schwarzenegger eats there. Guy Fieri eats there and shit. But their burgers fucking. I hate them. They're those big thick ones that's like eating a fucking meatloaf. So I eat Five Guys all the time. There's that's only just only two, there's only two places I would want to try. One's Cookout. That's a southern place, and there's like the corn dog and on this as a side or a chicken sandwich, and just like that's fa- that's fucked up. I want to try that. And the other one is because of your recent episode, the little big burger. And yeah, they're unionizing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that is. I, I mean, you I, you can you can definitely eat there. I've never heard a little big burger. I don't even know where it's at. But uh, yeah, but Brett did a did a special with the unionizers to try and unionize the food service industry. Yeah. 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 He's, he's good, man. He, he, he's, he's like talking to every union in the country. So (laughs) it's, it's wild. If you're a union, please contact street fight or, uh, bread pain himself. You should definitely, you have five free plugs. Uh, just listen to street fight. Uh, Street Fight Radio. Look it up on fucking iTunes or whatever. I'm Murder Brian and uh, watch Bosch, man. That show fucking rocks. Oh man, Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> I gave. I'll, I'll do three, and then you can give the next two to the other guests. <laughs> I, well, I mean, well, no, this show isn't going to come out for a month, so I, I can't give tour dates because my tour dates are in two weeks. Well, so here's what I'll do: a week before uh, the episode airs, I'll send you another email, and then you can tell me the tour dates, and I can. Sweet. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. So you know what? I'll take the two because I'll take it to me then. <laughs> uh, okay. And, you and listen to what you said. One Chapo Trap House. Check out Chapo Trap House. Uh, it, it's another fun podcast. Will Meneker, Felix Biederman, Virgil Texas, Amberly Floss, and Matt Chrisman, who was an earlier guest. And the fifth and final plug is Means TV. Please donate to Means TV right now to have some new cool content on the way. How's that? <laughs> That's perfect. I should have done Means TV. Now you're making me look like that other family. They only gave fifty thousand dollars, while the one family gave a hundred thousand dollars. But then it's—I'm <laughs> not trying to do that. I'm trying to help you out here and help some great people along the way. Thank you That's so much. That's what you did. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian, for stopping by. <laughs> Thanks for having me. If you're wondering what the theme song is to the briefcase which you probably aren't, uh, it was Love Known Die by the Fray. Uh, you'll also hear it again at the end of this episode. Once again, thank you to Brian Quimby for stopping by. Lots of fun. Love Street Fight. And folks, be sure to check them out if you are in Columbus, Ohio, June 28th. He'll be there at the Short North Stage. And you can find more information and tickets over on store.streetfightradio.com. 
www.thebrainfuckshow.com. We'll, we'll definitely plug that again at the end of this episode. But before we get to that, it's time for our 110-part series exploring every pricing game on The Price is Right. This is Pricing Game Spotlight. Do you believe there's a review after this? Hole in one or two. Premiere date May 9th, 1977. Tape number 2371D. Finale date for Barker era June 12th, 2007. Number 4032K. Premiere date with Drew Carey's era November 27th, 2007. 4102K. Air Devore November 5th, 2007. Hole in one or two. This is where the contestant has to play golf to win a car and a potential cash bonus by placing six products from least to most expensive. Gameplay. The game revolves around putting a... around putting, not putting, around putting on a miniature golf-style hole, which consists of a long straightaway ending in a circular area contained by a short rail. The hole is in the center of this area and is larger than a standard golf hole. The straightaway has six evenly spaced lines, the last of which is where the straightaway meets the circular area. The lines represent the possible distances from which the contestant will have to putt for the car. Six grocery items are used to determine the line from which the contestant will putt. The contestant is asked to order these items from least to most expensive, with flags representing the items placed in the given order at each line on the straightaway, starting with the one furthest from the hole. The prices are then revealed in the order the flags are placed. As long as each item is higher than the previous item, the contestant will get to move up to that line. Otherwise, the contestant does not advance, and the remaining flags are removed. If the contestant is successful in in ordering the grocery items perfectly, they will receive a cash bonus of $500. The contestant has two attempts to sink a putt from the line that he or she earned to win the car. Before this begins, the host asks for silence from the in-studio audience so the contestant can putt correctly, as is the case for miniature golf tournaments. As in miniature golf, a putt counts if it is sunk after bouncing off the rail. Originally, this game was called hole-in-one and the contestant was given only one attempt to make the putt. But because of the difficulty level associated with winning the game, expensive cars were usually offered. Originally, a drum roll sounded when the contestant was about to make the putt, but it was removed on December 21st, 1977. Originally, a $500 sign was a white oval with $500 written in red. On December 21st, it became a yellow flower with $500, which became blue and purple in 1980. And from September 24th, 1981, it was again replaced with a flag. Originally, it was a dark gold with $500, and... Regular, or quickly with a lighter shade of gold with silver edges with 500 bucks in the before becoming solid gold December 10th 1986 during the primetime specials the current format of two putts were introduced it was instituted permanently on the daytime show on October 10th 1986 during the 86 specials only the $500 bonus was doubled to $1000 this rule change was instituted in the million dollar spectacular specials the game's name was changed to hole in one or two on April 21st, 1987, which initially placed a stake 
saying or two next to the hole in one sign before adopting its current sign on November 30th, 1987, 6671D, with a golf ball reading one, in which Bob presses a button to flip the golf ball to the other side to say or two if the contestant misses the first putt. The name hole in one or two is only used on the show if the contestant misses the first putt. One of the game's best-known features is Bob Barker's inspirational putt, in which if he attempted a putt from the furthest line in an attempt to inspire the contestant, at various times, the putt was also done by the announcer, the contestant, models, stars of our shows, tape the television say, or members of the production staff. One of the most infamous inspirational putts was by Janice Pennington from December 2nd, 1991. The putt looked like it was going to miss, but then suddenly curved into the hole completely baffling Bob and everyone else. It was later determined that a hole in the ball caused it to turn. Drew Carey has continued the tradition of the inspirational putt, though he admittedly is not a golfer and more often than not misses. In fact, if Carey misses, he sometimes taps the golf ball in the hole with his foot, but that putt does not count. Some variations of hole one or two have their host doing inspirational putts too, in particular, uh, Marceau Antonio Regal, Bruce Forsyth, Ian Turpey, or Larry Emder. On Joe Pasquale's UK version, Raynard, his assistant to the putt, which was more like an inspiration drive, where he whacked the ball off stage, accompanied by a sound effect of breaking glass. On 94, syndicated new prices, right? Hole in one, you small prizes and sub groceries during the pricing segment. The prices were revealed immediately after contestant chose each item rather than revealing them all at the end, and there was no $500 flag, although that bonus prize was still offered. Um, Barker would often mention that his favorite game because of that inspirational putt and least favorite game if he failed. On one episode during the one-putt rule from 81, April 17th, 81, a contestant named Dolores put all six grocery items in order, won the $500 and putted from the sixth line, but... It did not hit the ball hard enough and lost the car. This happened twice in the two-putt era, once in a Doug Davidson episode and the other in a Bob Barker episode. But in both cases, the contestants won their second putts. In one episode of the Mexican version of the show, a contestant missed both of their putts from the closest line and Marco blew the ball into the hole. The closest line the contestant missed on both putts was January 6, 1994, in which the contestant missed both putts from the second closest line. In 1998, the Game Show Network aired a commercial for a fictional VHS tape called Golf Bob's Way, showing clips from Hole in One. In the mid-2000s, a USA Deal or No Deal former producer, Josh Silberman, put all six grocery items in order and won 500 bucks and put it from six line and won the car. I never do that. In April 28, 2009, a professional golfer, Natalie Gumas, did the inspirational putt. On April 21, 2010, Hole in One was played for a restored 64 Bentley's S3 Continental worth $34,990 and was won on the second putt. October 21st, uh, 2013, a split screen camera shot has been changed to a single screen camera side view of the Pine Green. On November 22nd, 2013, during Dream Car Week, BMW 640i convertible with 87,516 was offered with cash bonus. In May 10th, 2016, the game was featured in Let's Make a Deal as part of a mashup week for both shows. Uh, this also had Go for a Spin for, on the Price is Right episode. On October 26, 2016, during Big Money Week, the game was played for a top price of $100,000 instead of a car. I uh, see Jerick Brosard had two chances to sink the putt with a windmill in the way, or they can have it removed 
and play for $20,000. Cedric chose to play for the hundred grand. Sadly, he had to putt from the far line and lost. Ironically, despite the fact it was usually common that he's a poor golfer, Carey made a perfect putt on his inspirational putt from the back line. On December 30th, 2016, the game was played for a cash price of $100,000 in Seth Carr. Once again, contestant Cassandra uh, Botcher had two chances to sink the putt with a windmill in the way or have it removed for $20,000. And Cassandra played for the hundred grand, putt from the third line, and won $100,000. Fantastic. The most number of times this game was played in a season was 42. Foreign editions in Australian and Thailand, UK, the contestant has one attempt instead of two to sink the putt, and Vietnamese version contestant has three attempts, two trying attempts and one putt attempt instead of two to sink the ball. Uh, that's that's essentially all the, the facts I can look at in terms of the price of rookie. All of it's just cosmetic stuff, and I gotta say, this is one of my all-time favorite games on the prices, right? I love the way they incorporate grocery items to win a car. I like the physical mechanic of putting the ball into the hole. I think uh, there is really nothing you can do to change the show up, especially hole-in-one, other than just throw money at it. So do like a $1,000 bonus, considering that the $500 bonus has been there since its beginning. Why not just amplify that to $1,000 permanently? Or even like incorporate a a windmill element to add money. Like for $5,000 more, we'll add a windmill or you can remove the windmill and we'll play for the car as it stands. What do you want to do? That's the only other thing I can think of to change this game up because it's so simplistic and so nice. And I don't think you really need to do much different to it because it's, it's, it's a novel game and it plays like mini golf and it's a fun little game. I love this game a lot. This is one of my favorite prices, right? Pricing games uh, because of its elements of grocery items mixed with putting, mixed with playing for a car, and the way they handle it almost gives it a bit of a sports uh, mentality on it, which I also enjoy. Uh, Hole in one or two stands in this nice golf aesthetic with the flags and the grocery items, and the audience is still helping them out by dictating what's the highest item to save that for last. I love it. I love this game a lot. And sometimes they're off by 30 cents and they have to putt from like the third line and they are devastated and they still in the car. I love that. And that's why I enjoy uh, the price is right. Pricing game spotlights take on hole in one or two hole in one or two. One of my favorite games. And I think it's also on the Wii. The Wii version was really good. Next time on the pricing game spotlight, we'll be giving you a big hug because we're doing Squeeze play. So I thought that, you know, after doing Flinch on Netflix, that this is going to be a, we're done with game shows on Netflix. Ultimate Beastmaster was okay, and and Flinch just absolutely sucked. But then we got to learn about Awake, the Million Dollar Challenge. And most likely you'll be like, I've never heard of Awake. What is Awake? What, 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 what? There's another game show? I thought that we're done with game shows. I thought just ABC had the game shows. No, this is Awake, the Million Dollar Challenge on Netflix. Ba-ding. Seven contestants are in an abandoned Ikea in Burbank, California. 
24 hours before the game, they were in a room that might as well have been one of those bedrooms that you would see at Ikea with $1 million in quarters. They had to transfer and count as many quarters as they can in that 24 hours. That means grabbing it from the container, putting it on the table, counting it, putting it into their uh, little safety deposit box. And after that 24 hours, you know, because they might not have had any sleep because they were doing that the entire day, they must stop and transfer the money over to the game show set with James Davis is the host. James Davis is a funny comedian. Whoa, funny comedian. James Davis. Hey, whoa. <laughs> and then right then and there, two of those seven players are eliminated at the start of the game. The player with the least amount of money counted is eliminated from the game right then and there, as well as the player with the least accurate guess among the seven of them. So if you maybe had 11,000 in quarters and you said 32,000, you are knocked out of the game. This leaves five people into the game. In each of these challenges, one player will be eliminated. They must go through a minute-to-win-it type challenge, something involving quarters or something that is pretty much weaker in anti-coronation because, as you might have forgot, uh, they haven't had any sleep. So they've been uh, they've been kind of woozily, and they have to do hand-eye-coronation games. The best player, no matter what, advances to the next round of the game, but the rest, the remaining players, uh, rather it's four or three or two, will be given a buyout. Under a 10-second timer, they can take this buyout and walk out of the game no matter what happens, or they can continue. If all contestants choose to continue and none of them take the bailout, whoever did the poorest in that challenge is eliminated from the game. So if you did the worst, bailing out is the best option for you to take, because you will be getting at least some money. In round one, the bailout is $2,500. Round two, $5,000. Round three, $7,500. And we're in round four. It's down to two players. They have the option to bail out with $10,000 and force their opponent to win the game. Or they can just hang on. If neither of them go on, between the two, just like in the original round one, whoever is furthest away from their guess among those two is eliminated from the game as well and they leave with nothing most likely 500 bucks because that's kind of how actors get paid then we move on to this bonus round and this is the kind of what sold me on awake i'm not gonna lie this is what actually sold me on the show the player just won their big uh wheelbarrow full of quarters and they can either take that wheelbarrow of quarters and walk away or give it up for the com- combination of all remaining, all six players that got eliminated in their wheelbarrows of cash. All six. So we got seven players. You have one versus their six. And all combinations of all six is at le- is kind of in the six figures. Like about $150,000-ish. To win that money, they must have their guess of how much money they acquired in their own wheelbarrow. Uh, be counted and be within $1,000. That's 500 above or 500 below. If they're even 25 cents off their prediction, they lose everything. 
there is this power of 10 green light, red light situation to determine if they want it or not. If they are right, they have the chance to risk that $150,000 on one final game, one final chance. That prediction that they got right and they know they're within a thousand bucks. If they choose to, they can give up their $150,000. And if their prediction is within a $50 range, that's 25 above and 25 below, and they are not within a quarter, if they're correct, they will win $1 million. If they fail, they lose that $150,000. They leave with nothing. It's a mix of all sorts of game shows. There's some sleep deprivation. There is a minute to win its skill game. And then there is this estimation prediction game that actually has this element of deal or no deal that I kind of enjoy. Uh, The sleep deprivation element, however, I didn't really care for, to be honest. I thought it, it kind of just feels like it's tacked on. But the buyout portion of the show when it's who does the poorest under these tasks and then that gamble if i want to continue it has this feeling reminiscent of the uk game show the contest or poker face but instead of trivia it's physical challenges and i enjoy that a lot it's not bad actually but it's not something i would actually run out and encourage people to binge watch it is a much better offering than a lot of Netflix Netflix stuff. It's better than Ultimate Beastmaster, and it's better than Flinch. But it still comes across as a cruel game show. And while I will tell you, James Davis is funny, and I like him, I cannot take the show seriously when he's the host, because he isn't really playing host. He kind of acts. It's like a role to him. As a game show. So he's kind of playing game show host. Well, you sure you want to play? And then does mannerisms like po- poking or smiling or all this. It's very hammy. And it kind of takes you out of the debate when someone has just won $165,000. And they don't know if they want to just take it and go. Or if they're really judging rather not to go that one extra mile to go for $1 million. That's kind of some of the consequence that comes with away. Because I think they came up with an idea. It's a sleep deprivation game show for a million dollars in a lot of quarters. And it was all filmed probably in the course of two weeks in the Ikea, abandoned Ikea, because now they're weighed down in Burbank. But it actually has this novel idea of minute-to-minute style task. There is this risk-reward system where they don't know how the others did. So they're kind of trying to gauge how others did. There is this... And when you're sleep deprived, you definitely get those sad slums where you start to feel really bad and start to just think you you failed horribly. So you'll see a lot more people take the bailout than you might expect. And when they don't, it adds this extra layer of tension that I kind of enjoy. But I don't know if awake is kind of necessary. It's an un, it's a very unnecessary aspect of this risk reward game show. But it seems like it's two game shows in one. It's this buyout portion that's to whittle it down and then it's the how far is your guess prediction game because we can't just do whoever furthest away uh, is eliminated situation and i do like the fact they have to guess how much they count which means there's not a lot of strategy you can start like counting by fours and going dollar by dollar but when imagine that you did all that for nothing after like 24 hours that kind of would pretty much suck 
But I will actually encourage people to actually watch Awake. Just one episode. Just watch one episode. Doesn't matter which one. They're all pretty much the same. Just watch one episode. I, I will encourage you to view one. And then if you like it, you can watch the rest. I think that's the, the, the thrilling part about Netflix and its bingeable nature. It's not really bingeable, but it is an okay show. My final letter grade to this is a C+. It's an average show. It's not the worst. I kind of didn't care for the sleep deprivation part, but it's fine. It's fine. So I want to thank once again Brian Quimby for stopping by today. They have a call-in show. You can find out more information at com. Wednesdays is their basement show. It's the original show. It's very chaotic, but very fun. Donate to their Patreon, patreon.com slash streetfightradio. That's also where you find their zine and tour dates as well. But I want to encourage people, once again, if you are in Columbus, Ohio, please check out Street Fight Radio. It's over at the Green Room at the Short North Stage. That's 1187 North High Street, Columbus, Ohio, 43201. Starts at 7 o'clock, shows at 8. 10 bucks. It's a lot of fun. Brian was brilliant. I love him a lot, and I hope he comes back because I wanted to keep talking game shows with him. It's so much fun. And thank you again for tuning in. Join me next week for another great game show to talk about. Until then, have a big smooch. Mwah! No matter where we go, or even